Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. This time, we look at the idea that part of the reason women aren't further ahead at work is because they're still doing so much at home. As women, we get so much career advice about what to do in the office, but one of our biggest career obstacles happens at home. Before we even walk out the back door in the morning, we already have a hurdle to overcome. And we hear a male view on domestic arrangements and career inhibitions. I would like to be the most successful journalist in the world. But I have to, you know, get at seven in the morning. I have to spend the whole weekend, you know, in playground shouting at people. Coming up on The Broad Experience. Liz O'Donnell is the sole wage earner in her family of four. She works in marketing in Boston. Her husband stays at home in the suburbs to run the house and look after their two kids when they get back from school. On top of her job, Liz runs the blog Hello Ladies, and she's the author of a new book called Mogul, Mom and Maid. She doesn't spend much time slaving over a hot stove, let alone a vacuum cleaner, but she realised a lot of working women she knew were. On the one hand, they had their jobs in the hard-charging, high-expectations American workplace. On the other, they had to deal with everyone's expectations of what a woman's role is outside the office. Take the school gates. The schools absolutely still default to the mother. You know, at the beginning of the year, we have to fill out so much paperwork about, you know, emergency contacts and medical records and who's allowed to pick up your child and all of that good stuff. And regardless of the fact that my husband and I always write down that he's at home and I'm in the city at work, you know, if my child is sick, the school calls me. School drives her crazy in other ways, too. I don't have working mother guilt, you know, as the breadwinner. I'll never feel guilty about earning a living for my family. I'm, you know, fairly organized and can get most of it done. But the times that you'll find me in tears about being a working mother, it's usually related to the schools. It's related to the lack of communication or yet another opportunity to have to tell my children no. No, because yet again, she's been told about some school event at short notice and it's too late to cancel a client meeting and get there. She tells the story of one of the professional women she talked to for the book and how that woman has her child in a school that has half days, one day each week. As if arranging pickup and childcare around that half day weren't hard enough, the woman noticed during one particular week the school had moved the half day from its regular slot. Liz says this kind of last-minute logistical hurdle is the kind of thing women juggle in their heads all the time. The thought process and the thinking that goes into it and how much planning she has to do just for that one change was, it's, and those are the things, it's incredible. Those are the things I call the invisible tasks. You brought me very neatly to my next question. Initially, a reader might think, well, what does all this have to do with the workplace? But actually, the fact that it's usually the woman who is thinking and planning and has all this on her plate on top of work is a huge, it's a, it takes up an enormous amount of headspace. 
It takes up an enormous amount of headspace. That's exactly it. It doesn't necessarily take up an enormous amount of space on your to-do list. And it may feel like in your home, things are split fairly equitably. You know, I fluff, you fold, I wash, you dry. But this thinking, this constantly thinking through all of the moving parts, where you need to be, where your child needs to be, when the school is open, when the forms are due, when to buy the uniform, practice has changed. It's mental energy. One of the things you pick up on in the book is that few women felt their husbands did enough at home. The husbands, though, felt they did quite a bit, and most did a lot more than their own fathers. According to the Pew Research Center, the amount of time American fathers spend with their kids has almost tripled since 1965. Both halves of these couples worked, but the women told stories of the guy heading straight to his tool shed at the end of the day instead of picking up the baby, or not cleaning up after dinner, even though that was his regular chore. Still... Another thing that jumped out at me from the women you interviewed was the extent to which a lot of them actually felt that almost that it, it really was their role to do this or that their husbands couldn't do it the way they could or this idea what he doesn't notice if it's dirty, he doesn't even see it. So, you know, I just do it because it would never get done because he wouldn't see the mess and then I would be driven crazy by it and you know, that kind of thing. I think that's so interesting because it brings up the question of how much of this is coming from us and how much is coming from the outside. Yeah, and I I hesitate around this discussion because I don't want to put this all on the woman. I mean, clearly, men need to step up their role at home. You know, you look at the statistics, you listen to the women in the book, there's more that men could be doing. At the same time, there is a level of maternal gatekeeping that we that we back ourselves into these roles at home. And I think a lot of it has to do, again, with how we were raised, what we saw our mothers do, what we hold as the image of a perfect mother. I mean, there are so many factors. But if women can learn to let go, I go out and speak to groups of women now that the book is published. And one of the things I say is put down the mop. You know, whatever that mop might be for you, if it's, you know, making a perfect hospital bed, you know, when you make the beds in the morning or being overly concerned about, you know, what your child is wearing and how pressed their clothes are, whatever it is that maybe you could just let go on a little bit, try it for one week, just one week. And I I always assure women, no one will get hurt. And you'll see that you can free up some more mental time and physical time and, you know, start to let go of your standards. There was a woman in the book who I thought was, um, I thought she said something rather interesting. She said, you know, when my husband sends the kids to school and he forgets a snack, he says, oh, forgot the snack today. But if I send my kids to school without a snack, I think I am the worst mother ever. So it's perspective. Right. It's the societal pressure on women to be perfect and, and of course, to be perfect mothers because that's the role we were born to play. And you also, you, you know, you talk about the occasion where Michelle Obama described herself as mom in chief and some of, you know, all the writing and blogging that took place after that. And I mean, that really struck me as well, because I think very much that at the end of the day, society still thinks that that is what women should be above all else and that that is our most, you know, important job. 
That phrase crops up in the media at least every three months, right? That motherhood is the most important job. And you even had the president saying it. And and I don't buy it. I don't buy it for a number of reasons. But one is that, you know, we have to shift to think that if we think that's the most important job, then it has to be parenting is the most important job. Right. You know, the other thing that I think is interesting about this pressure that we feel is that it used to be pre-social media that you would feel this pressure by looking at you know, celebrity moms. You know, somebody would have a baby and they'd lose the weight and they'd be out and about and they'd be back to work on a film and you'd think, oh, why can't I be like whatever actress of the moment it might be? But intellectually, deep down inside, you knew that that actress was paid to be that thin, to be that perfect and had a whole army of people helping her. Now we do it to ourselves by posting our most perfect moments on Facebook. So now I go on Facebook and I see, you know, the woman down the street having a a wonderful family night or going on a fabulous vacation or, you know, celebrating a great career success. And so now it's, it's harder, I think, to not compare to what we think other women are living, you know, these perfect lives they might be living. And again, that kind of endless comparison eats your mental energy, not to mention your self-esteem. In short, stay off Facebook. Talking of comparisons, a lot of women Liz spoke to felt there were double standards when it came to how parents are perceived at work. You see the man who's leaving to coach his child's sports team being lauded as a great father and a good guy and someone we promote, you know, we should promote. And you see the woman who's leaving to catch the bus as, oh, not so committed to work. She's a mom. I think the real change will happen when these men start to find it, find a way to say, hey, I want what she has. I think more and more men, and you see studies coming out of like Boston College Center for Work and Family, you see more and more men saying, I want more balance in my life. I want to spend more time with my family. I don't want, they may have been raised to say, I provide and I die, right? But they're realizing that there's something so much more fulfilling happening in the home. But it's still risky for a lot of men to say they want more time with family. In the US, the attitude at most workplaces is that work comes first. I know someone who works for a global company based in New York. When his son was born several years ago, he had the opportunity to take paternity leave. But he was taken aside by some male colleagues and told not to do it. They said taking time off to be with his baby would make him look like a slacker. So he didn't take his leave. That's totally different from the attitude in Europe where you're expected to take your paternity leave and looked on askance if you don't. We're going to hear more about European attitudes to career and family in a minute. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website. I should know because I use Squarespace to build the broad experience site. Squarespace is constantly improving their platform with new features, new designs, and even better support. They have beautiful designs for you to start with and all the style options you need to create a unique website for you or your business. It's easy to use, but if you want some help, Squarespace has a great support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can start a trial at squarespace.com with no credit card required and begin building your site. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code BROAD12 to get 10% off and to show your support for the Broad experience. After talking to Liz, I decided I wanted a man's view on some of this stuff, and I knew exactly the man I wanted. Simon Cooper is a Financial Times columnist. He and his wife live in Paris with their three children, a seven-year-old girl and five-year-old twin boys. Life in the home, fulfilling? 
Well, yes, but also unexpected. I mean, I grew up thinking that I would have a job and I'd have a family, but I'd never conceived of having a family being that you... You know, you're woken up at seven in the morning by uh, children making a noise and then you have to help everyone get dressed and brush their teeth and then you really want to be back at six o'clock so that you can spend time with them and you end up completely exhausted at eight thirty by the time they fall asleep, etc. And then when the weekend starts, you, you face 36 hours straight with them. And I'd never imagined that. Why would he? When he was a child in the 70s, as he wrote in one of his columns, girls grew up playing with dolls and visiting new babies boys didn't. They grew up thinking they'd have time to themselves. When I vaguely thought about having children, I thought, well, you know, there'll, there'll be a child or two, and, uh, but I'll, I'll really just work. And I didn't really think about who would bring up the children. And now, of course, I, I find myself in a situation I hadn't expected at all. And that makes it probably more difficult because I, there is a voice in me that says, if you weren't putting the children to bed now, or if you weren't going to spend the entire weekend with the children, you could do a million other things. You could do all your work, or you could go to movies, and you could go to Rome, and, you know, all these fantasies, whereas I should really be thinking, well, this is, this is my life. I started to say this made sense, that no wonder men feel quite proud of themselves for the work they do at home, given most of them weren't raised to think they'd be playing these roles at all. But Simon disputes the idea that men feel smug about their contribution. Almost all the men and women I know would subscribe to the statement, men and women are equal. So we should both raise the children, we should both work. I don't really know people who would dissent from that statement. And so when I do the same amounts of childcare as my wife, or perhaps a bit less. Nobody says, oh, that's wonderful, you're doing as much as a woman. People say, well, that's, that's about right, that's what you should be doing. So we don't feel, I think men don't largely feel in my circles that, you know, aren't we wonderful, we're doing a lot of childcare. It's just what your wife and yourself and your friends expect from you. I don't see quite that level of egalitarianism here in the US. And life in this country involves more hustle these days, what with stagnating wages, expensive childcare and rising healthcare costs. It's also a work culture of long hours. A job in upper-middle-class America is more than full-time, and so generally you can only have one more than full-time job per family. Whereas what I see with my friends in Europe, male and female, is we all work kind of 90%. You never quite do the extra hour, not because you're lazy, but because you have to, you know, bring the kids to school or get the kids from school or whatever it is. So both men and women that I see with families in my generation in Europe, we're not maxing out our careers. We're, we're trying to do as well as we can and more or less get by in these years. And I think that's different from the difference from the upper middle class American families I see where the man is maxing out his career and kind of has to you know, to to earn the family budget, and the woman has left her career. And that does happen, of course, even when both parties earn well. Vanderbilt University released a study earlier this year. It found women from America's most elite universities were less likely to work once they had kids than other educated women. Liz O'Donnell says her book is really for the women in the middle, people who actually can't afford to give up their job, but in many cases have had to give up their cleaner. So women who are saying, I really want a fulfilling career, I want to add value, I want to be valued, I want a good paycheck and a good job, but I can't do it at 60 hours a week, and I'm not willing to make the personal sacrifices that are required to go all the way to the C-suite. Simon Cooper says he and his male friends aren't willing to make those sacrifices either. 
there's this debate among women about you know how hard it is to to combine work and family and how women are in this really difficult position, which is all true. But I think what that debate ignores, and I felt it reading the Sheryl Sandberg book, is that most men I know have many of exactly the same problems. You know, we also, I, I would like to be the most successful journalist in the world, but I have to, you know, get at seven in the morning, I have to spend the whole weekend, you know, in playground shouting at people. Can I just say so, you're not doing too badly? Um, well, <laughs> I, I, I make huge work sacrifices. And so all this Sheryl Sandberg arguments about how women should lean in and they, you know, for most of my male friends, it's the same. We're not leaning in. Yeah. Who, who has the time to lean into your career the whole time? So uh, I think that that Anna-Marie Slaughter and Charles Sandberg argument is all totally valid, and it's definitely harder for women, especially in the U.S., but they talk as if it's only about, only women have these choices, which is just false. Simon Cooper. Thanks to him and Liz O'Donnell for being my guests on this last show of the year. I'm going to post some show notes under this episode at thebroadexperience.com, including a link to a recent study on men, women, childcare and housework, as well as a few articles about attitudes to paternity leave. That's The Broad Experience for this time. I'm taking a break till late January, but if you're a newcomer to the show or you've missed an episode or two, there's plenty to catch up on. A few favourites from this year are the six-woman debate on Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In, the show I did on professional women and sex, and the show I did on women in Kenya. You can find all those via a link on the homepage and also on iTunes. The Broad Experience is supported by the Mule Radio Syndicate. They and I want to find out more about my listeners, so please take five minutes to go to muleradio.net and fill out the survey they're linking to from their homepage. As some of you know, putting this show together every two weeks takes a tremendous amount of time and energy, and I don't get paid for it. Filling out that survey will help when it comes to finding the right kind of sponsors for this podcast and getting more of them. So please fill out that survey. It really will be helpful. I love hearing from people. So if you have thoughts or suggestions about the show, shoot me an email at ashley at thebroadexperience.com. And please keep spreading the word about the show. I'll be back in 2014. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.